The others stepped down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, do you want to be healed? So let's go. So let's go. That is one of the riveting scenes taken from The Chosen, and it is illustrative. It is vivid of our very text today in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of John. So begin finding John chapter 5. How many Bibles do we have in the house this morning? Can I see your Bible? Love it when I see all you bringing your Bibles in. Some of you have a cell phone. That'll work if you're looking at the Scriptures. But uh, I tell people, you know, I kind of like a floppy Bible, uh, one that I can mark in. And, uh, but however you get God's Word, be sure you're getting God's Word in your life. It's great to see you uh, and what a privilege it is. You know, Prestonwood on all fronts is, is, is flourishing. That's the word I choose, flourishing. It's so fruitful. God is blessing us in so many ways. Plano Campus, North Campus, Prestonwood Espanol, including Prestonwood Espanol right here uh, at our North Campus on Saturday nights. And we're seeing lives change, lives transformed. And so this is a series of messages that we're calling, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And after looking at uh, the character of Christ and uh, his conversations with people one-on-one, all the gospel accounts of Jesus leading up to the great resurrection of Christ, we're now taking some time to talk about the miracles of Jesus. This summer, we're going to deal with some of the parables of Jesus. Now, when we say some of the miracles, we have chosen the Gospel of John because John, out of all the miracles that Christ performed, chose seven of these miracles as signs, signposts pointing to salvation in Christ, pointing to Jesus himself. We don't chase miracles, we're chasing Jesus. We're looking for Jesus. And our goal is that you would meet Jesus. That is the Gospel of John. At the close of the Gospel of John, he tells us why he wrote uh, this Gospel. He says these things. He said, you know, if all the things about Christ were recorded, it would take all the books in the world and beyond. He said, but these things are written, including these miracles that he talks about, seven of them. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you may have life in his name. And that is life with a capital L, 
abundant life. Jesus said in this same gospel of John chapter 10, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, a life that is flourishing, a life that is fruitful. So do you have this life? John picks out seven signs, seven wonders, seven miracles, and records them so that we may experience this life. And I realize uh, in a group like this, and many of you who are watching online right now, we are now live uh, online with our North Campus as well as the Plano Campus. And so that's good. Yeah, great. And so to all of you who may be uh, watching online, we're at the North Campus of Prestonwood. Uh, But as uh, we have been watching and observing the power of Christ to change lives, this... uh, is an opportunity for us now to see a miracle in our own lives. Some of you showed up with a miracle. Again, whether you're watching online or right here in this room, you showed up needing a miracle in your life today. Maybe it's a miracle of physical healing. Maybe it's a miracle you have a financial need in your life. The bills are coming due. The the payment on the house is coming due. and, And unless something happens, miraculous almost, then you're not going to make it. You need a miracle in your marriage. Some of you are facing issues in your marriage, and unless you get the miracle that you need in your marriage, it's not going to last. But I'm here to tell you that there is a miracle waiting for you. And it's recorded for us in John chapter 5, beginning at the first verse, and we're going to read the first 11 verses. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was or is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stopped or stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. We should note here that verse 4 is not included in the most original manuscripts of the New Testament. It's a real event in real time and space, but this is probably an addition, a commentary that someone wrote besides the manuscript to tell us what's going on here about this man. Because we meet a certain man in verse 5 that says, Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, that is a sickness, 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. In other words, when the water stirs, it's every man for himself and he just can't get there. He's sick. He's infirmed. He's powerless. And Jesus said to him in verse 8, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately, immediately the man was made well. Instantaneously he took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now this is not the Sabbath. Saturday was the Sabbath. The Sabbath was yesterday. Just a note, this is the Lord's day. We no longer worship as Christians on the Sabbath. Every day is the Lord's day. We worship every day. But the Sabbath is the Jewish Sabbath. It was a a very, and is a very holy time for Jewish people who worship on the Sabbath. We now worship on the Lord's day, the day of the resurrection. So you can call this the Christian Sabbath if you want. 
but it is in reality not the Sabbath. This is the Lord's day. Then Jesus, verse 10, therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. Or the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry a bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And we'll stop right there other than to say verse 12, they ask him, who is the man? And that is the question of all questions. It's the questions that we've been asking and answering in our entire series about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is this one? Who is the man who made you well? Do you know him? This is time to know him. So we begin with a background at the pool of Bethesda. When we travel to Israel, we always go to this very site. There are certain sites uh, when we go to Israel, and we're going again, leaving April 1st, 2024. We would love to have you go with us. Yes, there it is. We have a number of uh, of North Campus people went with us last time, such a delight. We've also got an Alaskan cruise coming up, but that's the Holy Land cruise. And when we go to the Holy Land, uh, one of the places we always go is through the Sheep Gate, which is still in existence, or the, the destination is in existence. And we go to this pool of Bethesda that they had uncovered. There are two pools. There are the remains of the portals there, and there's some... Uh, uh, arch, uh, architecture that is remaining. There's a church there, the St. Anne's Church, which is, is noted. We always have prayer at the Pool of Bethesda, and we've had some of the most remarkable prayer times together as a group, praying for the sick, praying for a miracle in our lives. It's, you can pray for the sick, you can pray for a miracle, and we do anywhere, of course. But to be on site in this place at Bethesda is truly a remarkable and wonderful uh, experience. It is where it actually happened, where Jesus met this man. Bethesda means the house of mercy. And at Bethesda, it was a veritable spa uh, in, in, in a hospital where hundreds if not thousands of people would show up because there was this tradition there, some say a superstition, we don't know exactly what's happening in the stirring of the water, could have been a natural phenomenon, the emptying of the Jordan would bubble up. Uh, from time to time and the waters would stir and people began to believe there were healing properties and propensities when the water stirred. It makes a little bit of sense. We, do, we have the same kind of spas today. My wife grew up, Deb grew up in Mineral Wells, Texas. Ever been there? Well, in Mineral Wells, they have these spas and the Crazy Water Hotel, yes, Crazy Water, and the Baker Hotel, and, and the minerals that are in these waters have healing propensities, is claimed, and uh, they're at least nice warm waters. Maybe you go to Hot Springs over in Arkansas where I preached last week and uh, three times in Arkansas. Uh, maybe you go over there. So uh, there was the idea that somehow there was healing power, that, that somehow God was in the stirring of the waters. And, and for the most part, a lot of this was superstition on the part of the people. But here is this man who is laying there day after day. He has been sick, think about it, for 38 years, almost four decades. We don't know how long he had been lined up to try to get into this pool when the water stirred, but we know that he had been day after day, month after month, year after year, decade after decade in the same condition. Sometimes we mistakenly tell people that time heals all wounds. Time doesn't always heal the wounds. And this man is broken for all these days. He's stuck in this sickness. And he can't seem to get out. He's helpless and seemingly 
hopeless. And he's representative of the broken lives that are all around us, including our own broken lives. People have broken hearts and broken homes and broken hopes, broken by life, broken by circumstances, broken by other people around them. You are looking, look around you, look up here. We are all broken. We are all broken by sin's power and just the impact of life that can, can take us down. And there is in this man a, a, an illustration, if you will, of this brokenness. Now, all of the miracles of Jesus, they literally, physically happen. You believe in God, you believe in miracles. You believe in the Bible, you believe in the, miracle, the, the miracles. The Bible is full of miracles. And on the same hand, John is using these stories of the miracles to illustrate a greater miracle. And it's the miracle of a changed life. It's the miracle of a, of a life and a family and a marriage that's put back together. I was just reading, actually, uh, between services. The first service didn't even get this one, so this is bonus uh, for the second service because I was just reading it. Lee Strobel, who's a well-known apologist, was doing an interview by, uh, with a philosopher by the name of J.P. Moreland, uh, Ph.D. Moreland tells Strobel, uh, who was an inquisitive journalist who didn't believe in God until he began to investigate the claims of Christ. He's written several books. But he says this, uh, this philosopher says there's one category of evidence you haven't asked about, talking about Jesus. It's the ongoing encounter with the resurrected Christ that happens all over the world in every culture to people from all kinds of backgrounds and personalities, well-educated and not, rich and poor, thinkers and feelers, men and women. They all will testify that more than any single thing in their lives, Jesus Christ has changed them. Now, who will give me that testimony today? Jesus Christ has changed my life. Can I get a witness on that? Jesus has changed my life. It's one of the great evidences that in time and place, through generations, all kinds of people, we testify to the fact that Christ performed a miracle. He's changed our lives. Moreland is onto something. Beyond all the science it has written, all the history and philosophy and prophecy that is available, and there's a lot of it, the encounters of men and women with the Savior are astounding. And listen to this. The story of Christianity, which is the story of Jesus, the story of Christianity is the story of broken marriages healed, drug addicts fully recovered, hardened hearts softened, the most violent of prisoners completely reformed, and the life-transforming rehabilitation beyond anything psychology or science could help to offer. And I say amen to that. This is the power of God, the miracle, wonder-working power of Jesus Christ in people's lives. And millions of people will testify that Jesus Christ is the great physician. And this is the title of the message, Jesus, who is the great physician. But before the miracle, we need to look at this broken man just a bit, the broken man who's laying here year after year, hour after year, hour, uh, hour stuck in time, seemingly no way out, no exit. He wakes up to the same reality every single day, and nothing is changing. I love this clip from The Chosen because it really does picture just the desperation of this man and of so many others. And 
when Jesus encounters this man, uh, the man looks to Jesus and he says, no one is here to help me get in the pool. It reminds me of the, of the psalmist David who said, no man cared for my soul. There were hundreds of people and maybe there were some who would help him make his bed, get on his mat and wait for the stirring. But in this man's condition, in his desperation, in his depression, and can you imagine how depressed and how lonely this man is? In all of this, he said, no one cares. He's isolated. He's lonely. You know, loneliness is pandemic in our culture today. In some ways, we're the most connected, social media and all the rest. Young people included are more connected than ever before and yet less connected in that people are lonely. And one of the big problems we have with teenagers today is a sense of abandonment and alienation and broken homes and broken families and, and, and cut off from even their friends except through a screen. And so that's why teenage suicide attempts are way, way up and actual uh, suicides are way up, not just among older people, but young people today. People are anxious. People are lonely. People are depressed. And they're laying all around us. They're living in our neighborhoods. Some are even in this church. Some are watching on a screen today. Lonely, isolated, depressed, broken by life and seemingly no way out. You wake up to the cruel reality of the fact that it seems that nothing in your life is ever going to change. You're never going to beat that addiction. You're never going to get through that circumstance in your, in, your, in your physical life. You're never going to get over that cancer. Whatever you're facing, you just think it's the end. I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to get out. Is that you? Let me remind you. Speaking of caring for people's souls, this is the call and the challenge to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ. People all around us are broken, and they need Jesus. People in this room need Jesus. Sometimes we think that the church is a place for perfect people, a trophy, a showcase for saints. It's not. It's a hospital. This was a veritable hospital at the pool of Bethesda. It was called the house of mercy. That's what Bethesda means. Don't you think that's a good description of what the church of the Lord Jesus should be? A house of mercy, a place of mercy, not of judgment or condemnation, but a place where grace and mercy are offered in Jesus Christ. So don't get the idea that you're looking around here. Maybe you're new and maybe you're looking around or you're watching through a screen. You see everybody. Everybody kind of looks their best today. It's, it's Sunday morning. It's the Lord's Day. But there's a lot of brokenness in this room. There are many people who need the Lord and you need the healing hand, the healing touch of Christ in your life today. And so we, the church, you know, here in North Texas, I'm just thinking about the isolation and the loneliness People are moving here from all over the country. And we think everybody knows one another. 
Many of us grew up in small towns. I grew up the first 10 years of my life in a little town in Arkansas. Pretty much everybody kind of knew one another. You knew how to get around, but think about it. A lot of you have moved here. You don't know that many people. You're looking around and you wonder, do these people care? Do these people care about what I'm going through? We talk about Vacation Bible School or Adventure Week as we call it. And when Connor gets up here and Connor's doing an incredible job as pastor along with our pastoral team. And when Connor gets up here and makes an appeal uh, to get involved, uh, one, in a life group, you want to know how uh, to get involved here at Prestonwood, get in a small group. It's good to learn in, in, uh, in uh, lines like this in a room with chairs and lines, but it's even better to be in a circle with friends where you can talk back and ask questions and learn even more and have friends and fellowship and somebody's going to come and care about you when you get sick. You know, we're a big church. But the pastoral care ministry of the church, the hospital ministry, I see Mel Pugh right here, our pastors, the church has always had churches, and this church specifically has always had a healing ministry, a hospital ministry, a caring ministry to, to hurting people. That's what God has called us to do. That's why so many hospitals around the world through the generations have cropped up as a result of Christians. You go today, we've got a group in our church They're called Serving Him. They're a group of dentists and doctors who have banded together the last 25 years primarily to go to Romania and minister there with healing, uh, the healing gift that they have and they use dentistry and other kinds of medicine to minister to people and show mercy to people and now uh, we're helping them as a church they're building a hospital Franklin Graham and Samaritan's Purse called alongside of them we're building a hospital in Romania there's already a clinic I, I'm just illustrating that that Christians care we care about people when they hurt we care about people when they're sick we care about their emotional needs for many years, churches ignored the, the mental anguish and, the, and issues like depression and anxiety and those kind of things. There was a time in churches uh, not too long ago that if you were depressed, you sure didn't tell anybody at church because they thought they might think that you were less than a Christian because you were dealing with some emotional struggle or trauma or difficulty uh, in your life. But now we're waking up to the fact that many people are emotionally in anguish and depression and anxiety and loneliness and all of these mental health kinds of issues. People are broken spiritually. People are broken physically. People are broken emotionally. And we need to be the house of mercy. Can I get an Amen. We need to be Bethesda. There used to be some churches we'd see from time to time, Bethesda Baptist Church or Bethesda Community Church. Well, what a great name for the church, the House of Mercy, and may we be the people of God and introduce people to our merciful Savior, our gracious God who heals broken hearts, broken homes, broken hopes. So here we have this man, and then we see the great physician come along. We just read it in the text. We saw it on the screen. Jesus, he looks this man right in the eyes. Of all the people that are there, he somehow picks him out and chooses this man for the miracle. We don't know why. Was there something in this man's desperation that Jesus especially noted? Certainly Jesus was there on a mission. He wasn't just there hanging out at the pool of Bethesda. He went there on, on purpose. And so he sees this man, and his eyes lock on him. And let me just say, Jesus, his eyes are locked on you today. He sees you. He hears your cry. He knows your name. 
This man is nameless in the scriptures. We don't know his name, but Jesus knew his name. He knew him. He saw him. He knew him. And God knows what you're going through. God knows how long you've been in it and how many times you've tried. You've tried so many things. You've been waiting for the pool to stir. You've been waiting for something to happen that would change things. But it never happens, it seems. And then that day came when Jesus showed up. He sees you. He knows you. And another thing that he did with this man is that he probed this man. You know, when you go to the doctor, you know, one of the things they do, they check your blood pressure, and it's, it seems to be always up uh, with white coat syndrome, right? I tell them, I said, man, you've been putting needles in me. You've been sticking me. You've been moving me around, laying me up. Yes, my blood pressure's up. And, you know, there's all the probing and say, ah, and look in your ears. And, well, Jesus, the great physician, he's probing the spiritual condition of this man. And so what does he ask him? He says, do you want to be made whole? It's the word whole or well. Do you want your brokenness, your life to be put back together? One way you could look at that, you could question, maybe the people around were questioning, is he mocking this man? Jesus, he's been here all these days. He's been in line all this time. For decades, he's been sick. And you ask him, do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? Well, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. Because with divine sovereignty, the fact that Jesus chose him out of the multitude of people that were there, we believe in design, divine sovereignty, don't we? No one just chooses on their own to follow Jesus. We are elect before the foundation of the world. We are chosen and called by God. We are uh, moved by the Holy Spirit to enable us to say yes. But with that, there is human responsibility. Side by side in the Bible, we see it. Divine sovereignty, God doing what only God can do, and human responsibility, our doing what God calls us to do and enables us to do. And so here you see it. It's a perfect illustration of this. People ask me all the time, do you believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation? Absolutely, totally and completely. Do you believe in the free will and the, and the human responsibility of, of men and women in salvation? Yes, absolutely, because the Bible says, whosoever will may come. He asked this man, do you choose to be well? Do you want to be well? You know, some people, I guess, have enjoyed poor health for generations. Some people don't want to get well. I don't know if they get pity or if they get, you know, personal satisfaction in some, in some way, but some people really don't want to change. Some people don't really want their lives to change. They don't want to give up their sin. They don't want to give up the very things that made them sick. Now, not all sickness is a result of sin. We know that. It's wrong to say that that person is sick because of their sin. Now, there is there is. There is suffering without sin. People suffer. You don't believe that. Just go to John chapter 9 when Jesus heals a blind man. And they were asking the question, is this man sick because of some sin in his own life? Or was it the sin in his parents? And he said, neither. It's for the glory of God. And in ways that we can't understand this side of eternity, there is for the glory of God a sickness. We do know that in life we live in a broken world. As a result of humankind's sin, 
We are all broken. We all get diseases. We all have pain. We all have suffering. So in the big sense, in the big picture of, of the world, uh, yes, had there been no sin, there would have been no sickness. Had there been no sickness, there would have been no suffering. Had there been no suffering, there would have been no death. That's why when we get to heaven one day, there will be no more sin, so there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears. But here's a man in some way, because Jesus tells us that and down in verse 14, that it was because of some sin in his life, the consequences perhaps of sin in his life, that he is sick. And he has to deal with a sin problem before he can deal with a sickness problem. Got it? So here we have, it's a mystery. Sickness is a mystery. Miracles are a mystery. They're natural miracles that occur every day in, in a human sense, in a natural sense. The birth of a baby is a miracle. I remember living in, pastoring in Hobart, Oklahoma, a small town, and I was there for the birth of uh, of a child, and it was a very difficult delivery, and the mother nearly died, the child nearly died, and yet both came through, and I was sitting with Dr. Van Howard after the, uh, after the surgery or after the delivery. It was late at night, and uh, I said, man, Doc, that birth was a miracle. And he looked at me, he said, young preacher, they're all miracles. Every birth is a miracle, and Yes, it is. There's, there's the miracles that God puts in place in nature and in creation. And, and then there are medical miracles. Many of us in this room are you know, here today because of, quote, medical miracles. We live in a very, a very blessed time in life where many diseases, infections, for example. The, you know, just a hundred and something years ago, the average lifespan of a person was 40, 50 years, and primarily because of infections. And then came antibiotics and so on. So there are, miracle med, uh, there, there are medical miracles. I went just over the last couple of weeks, a little insight, uh, I went the last couple of weeks and had new lenses put in my eyes. They took off cataracts out of one, part of one and another, and put brand new lens in my eye. You are so bright and beautiful today. <laughs> I'm seeing you all. Yes, you're sleeping there on the back row. I see you all the way back there. But, and I mean, that's a, that's a miracle, isn't it? I mean, if you could get a brand new lens for your eye, I'm good to go. I said what, that, uh, what Jesus said to that guy when they said they could do it. I said, let's go. Let's do it. So, you know, maybe some people in here have a brand new heart. You've had a heart transplant. So there are all kinds of wonderful things that God does through medicine, through miracle, through, through the wonderment of creation. But then there are times when God just steps in and does something supernatural, something beyond any human exp explanation. When the impossible plus the unponderable equals a miracle, and the difference is Jesus. God is still the God of impossible. Do you believe that? That God performs miracles today. So he sees this man. He knows this man. And he calls him out. And that brings us to the beautiful or the powerful miracle. He says, rise, take up your bed. And walk. Talk about the impossible. Get up. He hadn't been up in years. He's been laying now on this filthy mat all this time. So Jesus says, rise, take up your bed, take up your mat. And the word for walk here means to walk and keep on walking. Just get going. 
That's why here in the chosen, he said, let's go. It's go time. For some of you today, it's go time. It's time for you to rise, take up your bed, leave your past behind. If I look at that and it's as though Jesus is saying, you know, there's no room for, for relapse here. Rise. Get rid of that bed. Walk. And he begins to do it. Just as Jesus said. I don't want to insult your intelligence, but it, he didn't say, walk, take up your bed, and rise. Sometimes people have the idea that before I can come to Jesus, I've got to get things straightened out. I've got to get rid of the old mat bed of the past. I've got to get rid of, you know, I've got to start walking and performing and doing things and living a good life, and, and then I'll rise up. No, that's the opposite. Rise, get up. There's action here. This is faith in action. He had to believe the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So the miracle takes place when we obey God. Charles Stanley, the great uh, pastor from Atlanta, passed away a couple of weeks ago. And um, he was a great preacher and a great minister. I knew him quite well for many years. And he had a maxim, if you will, that he often gave as kind of the signal message the sermon of his life in a sentence, and it was simply this. Obey God and leave the consequences with him. I like that, don't you? In life, obey God and leave the consequences to your obedience to him. I would simply add, trust and obey God and leave the consequences to him. So he gets up and he begins to walk. And he is then accosted by some Pharisees, uh, the God squad shows up and they begin to question this miracle. Said, why are you doing this? Who, you're carrying your bed. You're breaking the rule of the Sabbath. You see, they had all these massive rules about what you could do and what you couldn't do on the Sabbath day. And, and so here's a man who's healed. He's been sick and down for nearly 40 years and all these guys can do is criticize him. Sometimes I pray, church, that when somebody gets saved, <laughs> that they never run into the Pharisees of the church, the God squad that puts them down. There are always going to be people that put you down, sometimes even in your own family, for your faith in Jesus Christ. But let me tell you something else. 99.9% .9 of people in God's church are going to celebrate you. I know right here, if you rise up and walk and find your fellowship and trust in Christ today, we're going to celebrate with you. We're going to stand with you. We're going to cheer you. We're going to bless you. We're going to encourage you in every way possible. And better than that, all the heavens that will explode because they will rejoice in the presence of God and celebrate your salvation forever and ever and ever. Does that sound like a good deal? Yeah. So don't pay any attention to the judgmental crowd, to those who are going to condemn you, to those who want to try to stop you. There will always be somebody in your way to pay them no mind. Keep your eyes on Jesus. At first, this man didn't even know who healed him. He said, I, I don't know. Jesus had just slipped away in the crowd, but then he meets Jesus back in the temple. And, and I'm going to push this just a little further to say, you know, the first thing this guy did after he was healed, he went straight to the place of worship. He went to the temple. Now, we know that going to the temple or going to the church doesn't save anyone. We don't preach churchianity. You're not saved by the church, not a cause, not a creed, not a, 
not a church. We're saved by Christ. But once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself gravitating towards the people of God. Amen? I mean, you'll want to be with the people of God. People talk about getting baptism. Why, baptized. Well, I don't know. Why should anyone have to be pushed or prodded or promoted to be baptized? If Jesus has saved you, has changed your life, you ought to jump in that pool to be baptized because you can't wait to let people know. Now, this man knew very little. All he knew is he was up on his feet. He's now walking. The Pharisees accost him. Jesus meets him and he says, now you keep walking because you don't want something worse. This is when we know it was a sin, some sin in his life that Jesus said, you know, lest some other, you know, terrible thing happen to you. It's like when he told the woman, go and sin no more. He's saying, you know, keep walking with me and Christ will empower us to walk with him. But I'm just saying he, he got with the people of God and so should you. You know, you should get with God's people. Because if you know the Lord, if you love the Lord, if a miracle has happened, you want to be around other people who are going to confirm your miracle and cheer you on and bless you and be there for you. And, oh, that you can be there for others. Because from that day forward, we're told in verse 15, the man departed and told the Jews, it was Jesus who made him well. You can't help but speak of what, is, what Christ has done in your life. You say, well, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be. Just tell what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. Amen? Can I get an amen? amen? Tell what wonderful things the Lord has done for you. And if you've been saved, if you've been delivered, if Christ has done this miracle, and the greatest miracle of all is the miracle of salvation. It took a miracle to hang the world in, in, in space. It took a miracle to put the stars in place, but when he saved my soul and cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. It took the cross. And so in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to do what Jesus asked this man to do, and that is to rise, to stand up, leave your past behind, and start walking with Jesus by beginning this walk, coming forward, and putting your faith and trust in Christ. It's your decision. You're here by divine appointment. It's not by chance. Jesus is searching this place. He's probing your heart. He's stirring not waters, but he's stirring your soul. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of your need. You're broken. You need Christ. Everybody's broken. We all need Christ. And today's the day that you meet Jesus. And nothing, nothing ever will be the same. And in heaven, we'll all be walking and leaping and dancing and praising God for what he's done for each one of us. Would you stand with me, please, quietly and reverently, everyone standing together? Would you bow your heads with me? Because we're going to pray. I'm going to ask that before we start thinking about what's next here this morning, what, where are you going to get to, to the parking lot, where did I park my car, all that. Would you stay focused with me and would you pray? that the Holy Spirit would move in people's hearts right now, maybe your own heart. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He's in this place. His spirit is in this room. And he's saying, he's asking you the same question. Do you want to get well? Do you want your marriage healed? Do you want your life changed? You know, rehab can be good. Medical treatment can be good. 
But I've known a lot of people have been in rehab after rehab and after rehab, and they can't break the addiction until Jesus Christ changes their lives. So you think, I'm stuck. I'm never going to get out of this condition. I'm never going to break this addiction. Yes, in the power of Christ, in the name of Jesus, I'm saying, rise. Leave your past behind and walk with Jesus. Come to Jesus. Others need a church home, a church family. You believe Prestonwood is a place of mercy and grace where you want to serve the Lord. Be a part of the answer and the solution. All these lonely people around us, all these people have moved here from all over the country. They don't know anybody. They need Christians like you to lead them to Jesus and the blessing and the fellowship of his church. Why don't you come and join with us today? You can make that decision today. Do you want to is the question. It's on you right now because God is calling you. Jesus is speaking to your heart. Now it's on you to say yes or no. And if you say no and no and no and no and no and no and no enough times, you get really good at it. And your heart hardens. My spirit will not always strive with a person. The waters will not always stir. The spirit will not always move, but he is moving in your life right now. Let's go. Let's go. Lord, may it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.